Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your co-host Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. We are doing the radio program from home because of the fact that, uh, you know, what's going on out in the city, the county, the state, and the world as far as that goes. But uh, uh, we will be talking with several people a day. Uh, Representative Karen Bass, Chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, will be on the line with us shortly. She's wrapping up a call. But while we're waiting for her, I want to let everybody know we appreciate the, uh, the sponsorships of the City of Seattle's Purchase Construction Services Office, uh, uh, Sound Transit Small Business Development and Labor Compliance Office, the Port of Seattle's Diversity and Contracting Office, Concourse Concessions, and SeaTac Bar Group LLC. And Stephanie O will save me all the time. She does our technology, and I'm learning things from her on a regular basis. But uh, uh, Congresswoman uh, Representative Bass does have a medical background, and uh, if you've been watching the news lately, California is in the high right now of the storm, and uh, these local elected officials like we have locally here, uh, Mayor Jenny Durkin, County Executive Dow Constantine, and, and Governor Jay Inslee are taking the lead uh, in terms of getting prepared for this, and we can constantly hear that uh, uh, the folks that, uh, that are uh, casting the blame are blaming President Obama, so... Uh, uh, we'll just uh, we'll continue to go with the flow, and I uh, also want to indicate too that uh, we'll be talking with uh, Michelle Merriweather, Seattle Urban League. They have a big spread uh, in the uh, the medium newspaper today. As a matter of fact, Chris B. Bennett has a section on the census, how important that is, and then also uh, uh, there is a, another article uh, about the self response to the uh, antidote the coronavirus impact, and this is by uh, Jerry Green, the 2020 uh, Census uh, Senior Advisor for the National Urban League. And we'll be talking to Dr. Quentin Morris, uh, who is a uh, music professor and co-chair of the Seattle Arts Commission. Uh, we'll be talking with him, and we will also be speaking with Dr. Michelle Terry, who's at uh, Children's Hospital, and uh, uh, she, she had called in. We should have talked to her first, because Congresswoman Bass, Representative Bass will need some more time. So, uh, hey, what do you have on the agenda right now in terms of the McKinney well, you know, Coalition? Well, I'm sorry, that last question, please? I, I was just doing a quick update on the McKinney Coalition. We know that $1.3 million has been allocated, a far cry from what the governor recommended, but it is something to start with. And just wanted to see if you had a couple of minutes to just do an update oh, on yeah, the McKinney Coalition. Yeah, I... I you know, McKinney Coalition is coming along well. I know that we have the selection committees being put in place as we speak. We're going to determine the board. But I think I want to uh, share with our listenership, there's a uh, House bill, House Bill 1521. And I believe, and I think most people in the Civil Rights Coalition will believe, it's going to have a real negative impact on our ability to get contracts, the, the sole source contracts, particularly from universities. When I was reading it and the way it was structured, I think it's something that everybody, again, that's House Bill 1521. Everybody should, should look it up, and I'm absolutely opposed to it. This, this bill, what it does, that in order for a university, say, to come, uh, contract with those, Eddie, as a small firm, as a sole source, they have to do an entire research project to determine how it's going to benefit the university by cutting costs using the staff that's there. I mean, who, who's going to take the time under a $50,000 contract? 
Well, all I can say is that until something is done with this coronavirus, uh, we won't look like anybody to be doing any contracting anyway. So I can say, uh, if, if whoever you pray to, please pray to them for some relief and some help. Uh, so I just wanted to make sure that I put that word out as well. But uh, now that that bill is opposed by quite a few folks. I know uh, Frank Lemos, Bob, uh, Bob Armstead, immediate past president of the National Association of Minority Contractors, has also been vehemently opposed. Uh, to that, because it, what it does do is undermine small business, and you know it consistently happens that uh, if you're not under the foot of a prime contractor, some of them are okay. I'm, I'm not going to say all of them are bad. Some of them are okay. No. Then you know because people people don't get paid on time, and uh, find a lot of other things. And the problem is that you never see any growth of these companies. That uh, and, and a lot of that has to do with the government regulations. And I've been talking to a lot of folks about changing this, so. A smaller business can receive their money directly instead of going through a private party who is uh, motivated by the profit motive anyway. And so I think that I can start supporting these larger businesses when they start showing me that they're graduating some women and minority firms from just being a subcontractor, a subpartner, into being uh, a viable entity on their standing on their own. Do, do, uh, the president of the University of Washington has been sharing with us over these past couple of years, how she wants to do business with small minority firms, and they're trying to take our rights away. They're trying to send them through so many hoops with red tape. It's absolutely counterproductive, and it's, and it's against what well, enhances all the findings of the Washington State Disparity Study. This is this is widening the margin to access dollars. It's wrong. You know, that's, that, house, that House bill has to go. Governor should not sign it. But on a positive note, the governor needs to make sure that money stays in place for Senator Hasegawa, that Senate Bill uh, 5995, you know, for the Washington State Investment Trust. It's a smart move. Please leave the money in the budget and so that we can get this, this study done. And you know the study was supposed to have been done by the university. They were supposed to ago. complete. Yes, we know. We know. We know to ask, uh, I'm going to ask Eric to go ahead and get Dr. Michelle Terry on on the line now uh, while we uh, while we just take a quick break uh, while we wait for Dr. Uh, Representative Bass. And, uh, Eric, if you go ahead and get Dr. Michelle Terry on the line, we can find out what's happening at Children's Hospital because we do find out now that it was widespread, a widespread myth that young people wouldn't be affected no. by the coronavirus. That is not true. Uh, young people are being affected and are carriers, and that's why this shelter-in-place is so important. Amen. Okay, we're going to take a break and come back. We try to coordinate with Representative Karen Bass, and we will have uh, Dr. Michelle Terry on the line when we get back. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail Station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. 
just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. You found us. Maybe you've been guided to listen. Alternative Talk 1150. Okay, we're back. Uh, we do have Representative Karen Bass from Los Angeles Chair of the Congressional Black Caucus on the line with us. And as I was indicating to her before we came on live, that some very frightening uh, views coming from Los Angeles, but it looks like the mayor and other folks are getting prepared for the worst of this coronavirus. So, Representative Bass, first of all, how are you doing? And thank you very much for your time today and for your service to your community and to the country. Uh, I just would like to know, uh, uh, just give me your impression of what's happening right now, and uh, I guess every individual uh, local entity is probably playing a more significant role or a larger role than uh, the federal government as a whole is doing. Well, we certainly know that we have no leadership coming from the White House. Um, I know he's getting ready to have his daily campaign rally going on. Uh, but I will tell you that the Senate last night passed the bill, um, almost you know a couple trillion dollars. We will pass it in the House tomorrow. It does provide significant resources to uh, everyone who is listening to this call. Uh, people, if you make under ninety thousand dollars, will receive a direct check. If you paid taxes last year, unemployment insurance was extended and increased by six hundred dollars a month. Uh, SNAP, our food stamp benefits, uh, are provided without the working requirements. So we accomplished a lot last night by taking a bill that was basically going to be a complete giveaway to corporations and turned it into a focus on working families. And my heart goes out to you and everybody in your state because you started as the epicenter, and I know that people all around you are directly affected. So I hope that you are staying safe and well as well. Yes, well, I, I'm definitely going to, I'm uh, sheltering in place because I'm well over the, the age threshold that would uh, say that someone's in danger of being a senior citizen. So I, I try to be young, but I'm going to take that, that advice very seriously. Uh, what uh, uh, is, uh, we, you've heard about the, the lack of response. Uh, in terms of what, uh, what can the Congressional Black Caucus do? Are they working just in their own uh, congressional districts right now and the local government trying to work to, to alleviate some of the problems that's being created by the coronavirus? Well, I will tell you, you know, we're all doing triple duty. You know, we're sheltering in place and following the guidelines. Uh, but at the same time, we are also providing support 
to our constituents here. Uh, I've been doing it in the way of telephone town halls and making sure that people know what happened. It's going to be very important next week because we did pass this $2 trillion bill, but we need to get, get to people to explain to them how can they access the resources that are supposed to be coming to their communities. You know, a lot of times things are done in Washington, and then you never hear about it anymore. It doesn't always mean that it comes to your community where you can feel it. Now, you should, but the only way for people to know that is for us to tell them. So what we're doing right now, the Congressional Black Caucus had a nine-page list of our priorities, which I'm happy to send to you and you can share with your listeners. So we are going through the bill with a fine-tooth comb. It was just passed late last night. It's over 800 pages, so we're looking to see which of our priorities were included. I did mention, you know, a few, talking about the checks, unemployment insurance, and food stamps, but we had many other priorities as well. And so we're trying to go through that and determine right now. But at the same time, we're also preparing for the next bill because we know there is going to be a next bill. These last three bills were pulled together in very quick order. None of us have ever been on this journey before. So none of us knew how this was going to move. Well, now that we can see it's only getting bigger and bigger, we need to prepare for the next package. We need to see how our communities are actually being affected. We need to know whether or not what we've done so far makes a difference. But we're going to pull together uh, black leadership from around the country to begin to prepare to fight for the next, uh, the next piece of legislation that will be passed. To address this we have uh, uh, Dr. Michelle Terry on hold. She's with Seattle Children's Hospital. Is uh, Dr. Yes. Is uh, Dr. Terry on on the line with us? Yes, now. Dr. Michelle Terry. Yes. Okay, uh, uh, we're on the line with uh, Representative Karen Bass, Chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, represents the 37th uh, Congressional District out of Los Angeles, and she was just talking about some of the things that they are doing. <clears throat> Uh, as, the, as the Congressional Black Caucus organizing and things like that, uh, I don't know exactly if you could share with her briefly if you've had any uh, had to deal with the coronavirus for children at, at the Children's Hospital, and if so, what are you doing? Yes, well, we're we're preparing at the Children's Hospital. Uh, the situation is really changing rapidly, and we're trying to. Um, you know, make, you know, safety the priority, the safety of the patients and the safety of the faculty and staff who work at the hospital. And there are a lot of difficult decisions um, being made. Um, primarily, we're getting ready, you know, so we, so there's a sense of anticipation or anticipatory dread in the next two or three weeks. We expect to see a surge um, of, of people ill with uh, this virus. So the hospitals have um, stopped doing elective surgery. So if someone needed, for example, a joint replacement, certainly it's you know it's something that doesn't need to be done right away. If it can wait, we've asked people to cancel uh, their elective surgeries. We've also made some arrangements in terms of visitation at the hospital. Um, we've always had. Um, excellent security at the hospital, but especially in during the pandemic, we want to decrease the traffic um, of people in and out of the hospital. So there are no visitors allowed, no vendors 
allowed, no volunteers allowed. Um, most of the administrative staff um, are working from home. Um, we've asked parents to stay in their child's room and not walk around the hospital. Um, parents may have meals delivered from the cafeteria to their room. And I think the biggest change is um, only one parent or caregiver is allowed to stay with um, their child at a time. And these are for all children in, in the hospital. So, okay. uh, mm -hmm. Well, that's good because I, uh, I wanted Representative Bass just to hear, we were, like, we were the epicenter of this uh, contravirus, and I wanted to hear what's happening here because they're going to have major problems in Los Angeles because of the size of the population. And Representative Bass, how quick is uh, this virus spreading in Los Angeles? Uh, very quickly. I mean, it's shocking, uh, the numbers. Um, and they seem to, I mean, I remember a, a week or so ago thinking before they hit 10,000 in the United States that we would soon be at 10,000. And, you know, just a little of a week and a half later, we're at 75,000, you know. So it is expanding in, in Los Angeles and in California with rapid you know, uh, rapidly, just as it is in other places in the country. I was shocked to see that the state of Louisiana, it's expanding there quicker than any place in the world. Just shocking. Was that the Mardi Gras? Because of Mardi Gras. They're thinking, they're yes, thinking that it was because of the Mardi Gras, yes. Well, uh, Representative Bass, go ahead, Hayward. Yeah, Representative Bass, just uh, uh, two quick questions. One, can you share with us the process for the distribution of those funds? And then two, that Dr. Anthony, and I, I think I got his name, Falky or whatever, who's advising the president, is talking about shutting down the borders from Africa and southern nations after our summer. What, what's going on with that? Well, I'm not really sure. Uh, interestingly, I think Africa is the safest place in the world right now in terms of the number of uh, uh, infections are very That's low. Right. It might be a question of testing, but it might not be because the African countries have been very uh, diligent, especially having suffered uh, a much deadlier uh, virus, uh, which is Ebola. Um, you know, one thing that we know about this guy is that he's going to bring in his policy objectives because his number one focus is getting reelected. It's not the American people. He's Amen. shown that time again. And so, uh, and I, I feel bad for Dr. Fauci because he is really stuck. He's a scientist and a doctor, as he said. He doesn't like to be involved in politics. But you can see he's walking a very thin tightrope behind knowing that half of what the president says is nonsense, and he can't, he has to be careful in contradicting him. So if he was talking about shutting down borders, I, I just have to believe that he's connected to us what he was pushed to do. Do we have a czar or somebody who's going to have oversight over the distribution of those, that two or three yes. trillion dollars? Yes. yes. The, uh, well, well, the half a billion might be what you're thinking about. The, um, the giveaway to uh, corporations without democratic input, there was going to be no oversight. Uh, Trump said in one of his prior press conferences that, we didn't need congressional oversight because he could provide the oversight. I was glad that the bill has 
stipulations in there that not one dime can go to his family or anybody associated with him because we know he was going to use the money to bail out his own failing resorts. Um, but in terms of how will people know how the money is going to be distributed, I think that is the most important question now. And I would like to get back to you. Uh, next week, because we're going to we're going to go through the bill with a fine-tooth comb, figure out where all the dollars are, and then we are going to get back to people to say, this is where you need to go to your city, to your county. I will say that anybody that needs a small business uh, uh, loan, an SBA loan, you should be looking into that right now, because I believe this bill will be signed by the president tomorrow. I believe it will pass the House tomorrow. He will sign it immediately. And I know there's going to be a mad rush to the SBA, and I would suggest that people do that mad rush right now. Get loan numbers in process right now. Now, unfortunately, for our churches, uh, our churches uh, were not funded directly in this bill. And so if they need resources, they're going to have to go the SBA route. And I know that that is not satisfactory, but that is what we're faced Mm -hmm. with now. There is money that was put in to make sure that it goes to nonprofit organizations, but, you know, it's an 800-page bill. And so we will get back to you with much more clarity about where the money will go and how people can access it on a community level. Well, Doc, I, uh, I sure certainly appreciate that, and we look forward to receiving the information. And, uh, Representative Bass, if you have time next week, we'd like to have an update from you because uh, that's yeah. important to our sure. listening audience. To hear directly from uh, the leader, uh, our leader in Washington D.C. So we definitely would like to hear back from you. So I know you're pushed for time, but I really do appreciate you taking the time to share with our listening audience uh, exactly uh, uh, the perspective from the CBC and in your personal perspective, because uh, I know you're on top of it, and uh, we certainly appreciate your service to the people. Thank you, and let me just say, first of all, I'd be happy to come back. But also, uh, next week, we want to move, move full steam ahead into planning the next package. So, you know, all of this Amen. is done, as I said, with rapid speed. But now that we have a little bit of breathing room, we need to start advocating for what our community needs in the same way those industries uh, made sure they advocated for theirs. And so we're going to be calling community leaders together, and I will definitely keep you informed because we're not going to be able to do it without the community's support. Representative Karen Bass, thank you so much for your leadership, and we look forward to hearing an update from you next week. So thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Now, Dr. Terry. Yeah. Dr. Terry? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Now, go right ahead. Uh, Yes. Okay. Now, we just wanted to uh, follow back up with you and uh, get the uh, the last, have you have the last word. But I wanted to make sure that... uh, Representative Karen Bass had a chance to hear from one of our medical professionals on what was being planned in the city of Seattle and Martin Luther King Jr. County. So I thought that's very important for. Uh, and then I see that uh, 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 Keith uh, from Flyright said that you delivered his twins 20 years ago. Yeah. So he, he hit you up. He hit you up on Facebook. Yeah. I've had I've had the pleasure of taking care of so many lovely. Um, children and their families, so I appreciate that uh, shout-out. Uh, Dr. Terry, a quick, a quick one for the listenership. What's the average time frame once a person admitted to the church or admitted to the hospital with the virus 
And then also, uh, Children's Hospital is known as a research institute. Are they doing any research to come up to combat this now with a, with a uh, well, the, the interesting thing about this virus is that it has a, a wide uh, variety of presentations. Um, some people who are carrying the virus have very minimal or no symptoms, meaning they have the usual runny nose, sore throat, maybe muscle aches, maybe a little bit of uh, elevated temperature, but, you know, people go to work with colds all the time and they, you know, try to, you know, blow their noses into uh, Kleenex tissues or uh, cover their coughs or uh, wash their hands frequently. So the insidious thing about this virus is that a lot of people catch it and then some people don't get sick at all and some people um, perish from the illness. And right now we don't know um, why that is. Um, We know that most of the uh, deaths have been in uh, people over the age of 70. Um, There have been um, very few serious illnesses in children. So the researchers are trying to kind of look at trends and look at the characteristics of the virus and the virus as it changes and mutates to figure out why it's, uh, you know, so serious in a segment of the population. Um, and in terms of the hospital, um, we're preparing for, um, you know, regionally, not just at at this hospital, but regionally we're planning for a lot of patients who are going to present with some illness. We've been hindered a little bit because we don't have a good testing uh, widely available yet to kind of put people's um, uh, you know, fears at ease about whether or not they're infected. However, because it is a virus, one can test negative on Monday and then perhaps, you know, contract the virus on Friday. So this social distancing, staying at home is really the safest thing to do until uh, the virus is not circulating as widely in the community. Um, we don't want a lot of people to get sick all at once and overwhelm the health care system so that uh, people who need care are unable to receive care. Now, apart from the virus, you know, people are still, you know, getting sick with heart attacks and strokes and women are having babies and, you know, folks have um, accidental trauma. So we're trying to you make space for everyone who needs health care and the term flatten the curve, meaning, you know, making sure that a lot of people aren't getting sick all at once um, and presenting for medical care and not having um, care available for them. Well, okay, Dr. Uh, Michelle Terry, want to thank you very much, and I'm glad that you had an opportunity to let... Uh, Representative Karen Bass, Chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, know what you were doing uh, at Seattle mm-hmm. Children's Hospital. So I uh, really do want to thank you for your time today. All so, right. uh, And we're going to have you on because we want to Absolutely. hear about what's happening uh, from our medical professionals and especially yeah. what effect was happening having on the children. So thank you very much. Okay. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Goodbye. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> so we'll be hooking up Quentin Morris uh, in a minute, but... Uh, Anyway, it's a real deal. I mean, the Seattle looks like a ghost town. 
Uh, there's hardly anybody anywhere, so I have to say that I see all the people on the beaches in Florida and Georgia, and I really think uh, uh, they are really uh, setting themselves up for a catastrophic uh, event uh, because all it takes is uh, to breathe the air. And, you know, that's why the NBA is not planned because, uh, like Charles Barkley said, it, those guys are close together all the time and fluids are flying, and this is why you end up having the, uh, the games canceled. And I can't blame them. I know I'm bored as everybody else, but uh, it's for the sake of, uh, of security and uh, uh, making sure that we stay healthy. we got to do what we have to do. So uh, do we have uh, Dr. Morris on the line? Well, we're in the process of getting Dr. Quentin Morris, who is a professor of music, second living African-American tenured violinist. He's also co-chair of the Seattle Arts Commission, and uh, he was a NAACP Axel winner at the local and national level because that was the same Amen. year that, that Angela Riot was a, a local gold medal winner and also won a silver medal on a Swiss Science project. So it was kind of unique to have. Uh... So, Eric, are we having any problems getting uh, Dr. Quentin Morris on the line? Okay. I'm on Dr. The line. Q. Good Dr. Quentin Morris. Afternoon. <laughs> oh, it is afternoon now, brother. I called you in the morning. Yes, you did. <laughs> How you doing? Hey, everything is just going, it's going great. Uh, been having some people on talking about what's going on with us right now. And uh, so why don't you uh, share with us a little bit about uh, your background, and uh, I gave a little bit about you being the Axel winner. I remember that was the same year that I think you and Angela both went back to Nationals. Yeah, yeah, gosh, that was that was a great time. Man, Axel, Cheryl uh, Riley Payne, who, who uh, continues to run that program, is phenomenal, and lots of people in the 90s, um, that came through that program, including your daughter, are very successful and doing really fantastic work um, in their own respective fields as well as in uh, the communities in which they serve. Um, for myself, um, you know, I'm a tenured professor at Seattle University. Um, I run the instrumental music area. I've been there for about 13 years now, which um, I'm very proud of. Um, I'm a tenured professor there, so, um, and actually a fun fact, I am the second African-American violinist in this country with tenure and promotion at a university. So that's a really big deal because, and I didn't even actually realize this um, until a few years ago, um, to receive tenure and promotion at a university is incredibly difficult. And more specifically in the arts or in music is very difficult because you have to publish, um, you have to do an array of different concerts and, um, and basically put together a portfolio. And, um, so I'm very honored, and I take that position very seriously. The other uh, black violin professor who's tenured is Gregory Walker, who teaches at the University of Denver. Um, Gregory's uh, father 
is George Walker, who is the first African-American composer to receive a Pulitzer Prize. So there's a lot of history um, surrounded by us, and we're just so thankful. I saw Greg a couple of weeks ago in Florida, and um, so we, we, we recognize, you know, our positions and, um, and really try to exemplify um, a certain amount of excellence in what we do as we know a lot of people are watching us in our positions. Um, for myself, you know, I'm from Renton. I'm from South King County. Um, I'm still very passionate about South King County, especially because, um, of course, in light of gentrification that has occurred over the last 10 to 15 years within the Seattle region, um, many people in the South King County area are underserved, and they uh, it's kind of uh, seen as a forgotten county. And there's a lot of people of color. There are a lot of people who um, have either been forced to move to that area and or have always lived there and just not received the proper resources and uh, exposure or experience that they should receive. And so I started a program called The Key to Change, which provides violin and viola lessons to middle and high school students in that area where they come in, they study with me twice a week, and um, we also bring in lots of different professionals who work with them, lots of different college professors and professionals within our field who talk to them about leadership skills and, um, of course, hear them play and give them feedback. But uh, it's, it's a way for the people of, and the students, more specifically, of South King County to feel like they have a real advocate and feel like they have someone who is working for the good of, of them and, and working on their behalf. So that's essentially what I do. I also am the co-chair with Priya Frank of the Seattle Arts Commission. Um, so I've got my hands in a lot of different piles, and, um, and I'm very thankful and I'm very blessed, really, truly blessed, to be able to do and have such a diverse, um, wide range of work. And yeah, you've been, been very successful. Uh, let's I'll go to the Arts Commission. Uh, uh, you know, you sure. talked about the gentrification in the area now. And uh, so by having a marginalized uh, African-American population now, what are the possibilities of uh, actual meaningful black participation in uh, the arts funding through the Arts Commission? Well, you know, I think one thing that the Arts Commission, we work very closely with the Office of Arts and Culture. Um, and, and so the one piece that has been at the forefront of, I would say, almost every conversation has been the racial equity um, component of making sure that um, that whoever is sitting at the table with decisions being made, with um, resources that are being granted and given, um, that people of color um, are at the forefront of that and um, that we are looking at and making decisions through an equitable racial um, lens. I think that's really important. That's work that started with Vivian Phillips, 
who was the chair um, a couple of years ago. Um, I respect Vivian greatly, um, and and through her leadership as well as through the leadership of, of Randy Ingstrom and those in the Office of Arts and Culture, I think have done a really phenomenal job of keeping that at the forefront, um, not only just for black people, but people of color in general. Um, and that's work that we will continue to do. That is um, work that I know the Arts Commission as well as the Office of Arts and Culture um, is not only dedicated to, but really putting and, and, and um, actionable steps forward towards that. And so I think that as we move forward, that um, more black artists, uh, more black creatives should apply for the different funding sources that um, the city has. And, and, and I would also say that there are other organizations uh, within town that are also doing that work um, that I think should also be mentioned. Um, Artist Trust um, is doing a phenomenal job of that. Um, they, they make sure that artists within not only Seattle but within the state um, are having resources and, and access to resources, to funding, and, and different um, opportunities for artists. So um, there's been a lot of conversations behind the, the scenes that has been done, and I think that um, there's some, some really great progress that's, that's going forward. And my job, of course, is to advocate and to continue that great work that's moving forward. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Dr. Quentin Morris, we've got to keep you on Urban Forum Northwest. Uh, you're doing a lot of things, got your finger in a lot of pots, and uh, being a great advocate. And uh, I've watched you come up through the ranks, so to speak, and you always came up uh, being number one, and you continue to be number one. And I really appreciate mm-hmm. you for reaching back and giving back. So uh, as things come up with the Arts Commission at Seattle University or anything else you're involved with, please make sure you let me know so we can let our listening audience know what Dr. Hugh is doing to uplift the community. <laughs> well, thank you. You know, I think, you know, I, I've been a huge fan of you and, of course, your wife as well, Dr. Rye, for a really long time. Um, there's one thing I learned from you, Matt, is you got to speak well and you got to look well. And, and you do both <laughs> of those things so great. You are you are sharp, man, and, and um, it, it's it's hearing that from you is a real pleasure and I I appreciate that and I feel I feel like at this point in my life my job is to um, support others and to serve as an advocate I'm not always the most popular guy in the room um, and I don't need to always but when you're an advocate you never are really Yeah, because when you're an advocate, you're gonna step team. on some toes for justice. So, uh, welcome to the club, brother. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you know that, but I just, yes, indeed. Uh, I, I'm I am um, I'm behind the scenes making things happen. And again, you know, with key to change, there's a lot of students of color, black kids especially, in that area who have people making poor decisions on their behalf. And that's not right. And so Key to Change is charged with making smart decisions on their behalf. So we don't turn students away 
who join our program. Um, we, you know, we meet people well, where well, they before are. Before we go, I want you to give folks your contact information. So these, you sure. are uh, offered up a lot, and I want to make sure that when this program's over, people that need help or need to reach out to you can reach you. So give us your contact Absolutely. information before we go. So my, so people can reach me online, of course. Um, the fastest way is probably through our website, which is key to change studio.org. So, I mean, you can pull me up on Google to Quentin Morris and it'll, I mean, all, every, everything will come up, but, um, okay, sir. to change studio is where you find me at org. Okay. Thank you very much, Dr. Quentin Morris. We appreciate your contributions and your, uh, your success. You have experience uh, from up to date. So, We'll be talking with you again soon because you're doing a lot and the community needs to hear from you. You got it. Thank you so much okay. for having me on. Take care. Okay, we appreciate it. Okay. All right. Well, Eric, we're going to take a quick break and try to come back with Michelle Merriweather, president and CEO of uh, – oh, my phone is ringing too <laughs> – the president and CEO of the Urban League of Metropolitan Seattle. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington, or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Talk radio for the heart and soul. Alternative Talk 1150. Okay, uh, Hayward Evans fell off the line, but he's back on now. And uh, we we're on with uh, Michelle Merriweather, the distinguished uh, president and CEO of the Urban League of Metropolitan Seattle. And I was talking earlier, Michelle, I see that uh, uh, you guys are probably involved with the census and Maya Manus with the Black uh, Caucus. And uh, I see that you're one of your, your national leaders, uh, Jerry Green, the, the 2020 Senior Census Advisor, is on as an article of the Trace Edney Wire Service on the front page of uh, the Seattle Medium newspaper. So uh, you guys are really doing some great things. So, Michelle, I mean, you know, given this virus and stuff and 
all the people that rely on the Urban League for services and stuff, uh, give us uh, listening on this an idea of how you're trying to help those people and stay alive at the same time. Hey, Eddie uh, and Hayward, it's uh, great to be on, especially right now. I'm glad to hear your voice, glad you, to know you guys are doing well. Um, yeah, we are We are busy. Um, of course, our, our first um, concern is to ensure that our community is staying safe and staying healthy um, through all of this. So we have uh, added a, a, a web page to our uh, uh, website with a bunch of resources and um, factual information um, in regards to COVID-19. So uh, I welcome your guests to visit that. And then, of course, the census is still happening and very, very important. And so we are uh, doing all we can uh, through the assistance of others um, to those that need it to ensure that they don't forget to be counted. Because in times like this, Eddie, uh, when we are requesting the support and resources from our federal government, they rely on the census information on how funding and support are allocated. Um, so times like this, especially in times like this, of course, for other things like free lunch programs, um, Head Start, early childhood education, et cetera, in ordinary times, it is is equally important to ensure that we're counted. But in times like this, when we are relying on the federal government, you know, supposedly, to support us, um, (laughs) they are relying on census data to allocate resources. So it is, is, uh, this is a prime example of why it's important that we're counted. Hayward? On the coronavirus. Yes, no, uh, Michelle. Good talking with you. On the on the uh, coronavirus, uh, is the NAACP now being one of the uh, sponsored organizations from the Seattle Foundation to make sure the word is getting out to um, to your uh, to your client base, your participants? Well, she's the Urban League, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, well, that, that's what, we that's are, the question. We are the Urban League, but you know the NAACP is certainly our friend and partner. Um, yes. So I am a part of uh, King County. What you know, I am grateful to be a Seattle resident. Let me let me tell you, and live in Seattle, King County. We were the first in the in the state, of course, in the country, to unfortunately, um, you know, um, be uh, be challenged with COVID nineteen. But we were also the first in the country to respond. Our our county and city officials along with our business community and foundation community came together quickly and said we need to do something to support this so they quickly set up a um a pandemic advisory council community advisory council which i am on representing us and our community and our needs and a bunch of others there's about 30 or 40 other um members of this advisory council so we meet every week we hear updates from King County Public Health and share our thoughts and response. And um, we're also, uh, the Advisory Council has also been tasked with offering our um, thoughts and recommendations on the the fund that Seattle Foundation put together. So um, that information should be uh, released, uh, I think, as early as Monday on who um, has been funded. So, um, uh, and and 
those organizations, Seattle Foundation, did respond very quickly to ensure that communities of color, black folks, all of us are represented and supported and able to continue to do our work because Hayward and Eddie, you already know that our community um, crisis is not new to us. There are so many of us that are living um, check to check, struggling to get by, facing eviction, experiencing homelessness. So we are supporting those folks each and every day. It is just elevated now, um, but it is happening every single day for us. So um, we are we are doing our best to respond and with our partners, with like NAACP and um, Africatown and other organizations to ensure that uh, our community receives the resources that it needs to continue to support those most in need and impacted. Well, and uh, in, in terms of your, are you at your office, uh, you guys have limited hours now? We do. We do. So in order to keep everybody safe, we do have limited hours. So most of our workforce team are now working from home. Um, but some of our housing team that are supporting folks that are experiencing homelessness are still in the office um, because we that's, have to make sure that Linda Taylor we're accessible. At all, huh? Yeah. So, well, Miss Taylor is working from home. We have to keep her safe, right? So our office hours now are 10 to 3. Uh, and they can, uh, folks can certainly still call and make an appointment. That is definitely preferred. But if you can't, and you just need to get there and get some help, we are uh, we are there from ten to three. Okay. Hey, would you have any other questions for? Well, mine just has to do with the uh, the uh, that uh, disproportionate community because you know the communities of color always receive resources at a disproportionate level. But as long yeah. I feel comfortable, you're there at the table to make sure our community is is covered. Yeah. So, so I mean, I want to thank you for that. But what plans sure. are in place to make sure that people are being uh, uh, reached out to or or in contact with you, your organization, and representatives? Because I know a lot of people right now are challenged. They're sitting at home. They feel fearful, and they don't know mm -hmm. what those next steps should be. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think uh, I would recommend, number one, if, uh, if you are uh, over 60 or have a known health condition, stay home. Um, call us, 206-461-3792. Uh, we will gladly bring you um, groceries, food, um, pick up prescription medications, et cetera. We'll gladly do that to make sure that you stay home and stay safe. I will personally do it if uh, need be, because we need to make sure that uh, those folks stay home and stay safe. I know that grocery stores are doing a great job of giving those folks uh, um, specific hours to shop. To me, that's still not safe, uh, so I would rather them stay home. Second, um, make sure that you are um, vetting the source of information that you are receiving. Can believe everything you see on Facebook and social media. So urbanleague.org, our website has some information and links to um, the CDC and um, SBA and other resources that support small businesses, gig, you know, gig economy, et cetera, to make sure that those folks are receiving real-time necessary information and factual information. Um, and then uh, last You know, Michelle, on that point, uh, we had yeah. Representative Karen Bass, chair of the Congressional Black Caucus yes. from out of your old area of Los Angeles. Yes, yes. 
and uh, she was uh, uh, making a statement that people who have small businesses who've been harmed, who need the loans, need to contact SBA like right now. Right now. And you can now. go online yes. and do a lot of this yes. stuff right now. And uh, mm-hmm. I just wanted you uh, to repeat one more time that the services that the Urban League will offer people who are, who are shut in. And you yes. mentioned prescriptions and groceries. Would you please yeah, and we then can, let, us, we can do let that. our listeners know how they can contact you for that help? For sure. So you can two things. You can either email info at urbanleague.org or give us a call at 206-461-3792. And you can visit our website at www.urbanleague.org for links to uh, SBA, CDC, and all of those other resources. I also want to mention, um, Eddie, that we are uh, advocating to to our local, state, and federal government to ensure that resources are provided equitably and efficiently to those most in need, Um, small businesses, you know, mom-and-pop businesses, et cetera, right here in the region. Um, so lots of letter writing uh, and uh, petitions and all of that good stuff um, and calling our uh, congressmen and women and senators and making sure that they hear our voice. So we're doing that as well, uh, for sure. And, you know, I love Karen Bass. When I was a young professional, just on a side note, uh, she and uh, she opened up her home to us and uh, mentored us and gave us all kind of support and love. So I'm, I have to say that I am here in large part because of, of her many, many years ago. <laughs> so um, well, I'm great. glad you guys had her on. Okay. Well, Michelle, I want to just say that I want to thank you very much, uh, really, for your work with the McKinney Coalition uh, and helping us uh, get the funding that's necessary and being an advocate in Olympia. And uh, as soon as everything gets squared away, Hayward had mentioned earlier, the selection committee has been uh, been formed, and they will be appointing an interim board. So some, that $1.3 million has somewhere to go. We've got to grow on that. So, Michelle Merriweather, thank you so much for your leadership and your time today. Thank you. And we'll be in touch because you, you, you guys are doing a lot. I appreciate you both, and stay healthy. All right, now, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, before we go, Hayward, I just want to say that Urban Forum Northwest is brought to you by Sound Transit Small Business Development and Labor Compliance Office. The City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Office, the Port of Seattle's Diversity and Contracting Offices with me and Rice, Concourse Concessions with Dave Fukuhara, SeaTac Bar Group, LLC, with the two Desert Storm veterans, Rod O'Neill and Jerry Whitsitt, Stephanie Ogle does our technology and our media. And once again, we're doing this from the home front because of the contravirus. Eric, thank you very much for handling the boards properly and giving us the right kind of music to listen to. So we'll be with you again on next Thursday. Until then, be safe. Oh, 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 oh,